1: Yes, it is. And welcome back. Wednesday, May 18th, 2022, health care as an individual experiences it or as a public health problem, isn't always the most pertinent or upfront thing in front of us or at the top list of our concerns until that wand passes over our head and we become surprised at what we have to face in dealing with it, either at a personal level or a public level, which is why I so appreciate David Schweikert, our congressman here uh, representing Arizona's sixth congressional district, and he joins us every Wednesday to talk about the things he's up to in Congress. And two of the things he's been working on this week have been on the health care front: one on an uh. individual basis, one on a public health basis, using dynamism and creativity in fixing health care. David, welcome back to the show. How are you, sir? Yeah,
2: and, and look, on occasion you get pollsters around here; it you know are just. Um, terrified when Republicans are talking about health. I know because I know. let's be honest. Um, a lot of our brothers and sisters, you know, immediately start talking about market forces and those things, and it's all those incredibly important. But um, we often don't do a particularly optimistic or good job.
1: Well, uh, well, let's give these pollsters the something to really worry about. Ta- let's talk to them about coccidioidomycosis.
2: Okay, well now you're going to valley fever. Yep know um, yeah, Look for a- anyone until in- you have it.
1: Right, it's not on people's minds until they get it, and a lot of them don't even know that that's what ails them. I I, I know about this thing. You you're and- doing and- good work on it. Go ahead
2: for our community. Yeah. Uh, uh, so many folks have no concept the economic cost, the number of folks around us. You know, you you know, for most of us who've lived here our whole life.
1: Uh oh, did I lose David there for a sec? Well, while we're working on David, uh, sure, there's, yeah, there's, go ahead. We had a little glitch. Go ahead, sir.
2: Go okay, ahead. but there's so many people, like I have a neighbor who actually has valley fever in the bones in his hand. Right. So he actually has to go through these surgeries where they cut open his hand and dig it out of his his skeleton. Right. In his, in his bones in his hand. Right. Um, it's a
1: fungus, right. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, it's a fungi. Yeah.
2: This became sort of a fixation of mine, and it turns out Kevin McCarthy, because Kevin McCarthy's district is Bakersfield. Oh yeah, His, they would. Ha-
1: yeah, Bakersfield would. Ha- yeah, 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 yeah.
2: His area and our area mm-hmm. are the you know centers for Valley Fever. Okay. You know, that um, you know that fun guy, and so what we've done is a few years ago we put together a task force, we put together all sorts of research, and then we moved money around. So we move some of the research money around, and um, one of the reasons you're mentioning this is there just came a a group of researchers that just gave us both an award Mm -hmm. because it looks like we're having some success. It's not there yet. Mm -hmm. I I haven't had the formal briefing on it. All I get is little memos once a month, Um, but there's a vaccine dog trial Mm -hmm. because I lost one of my canines, one of my dogs. Yeah, I was going to say this affects fever.
1: dogs a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I,
2: I I lost Charlie the uh-huh. um, Wheaton Terrier, mm. wonderful dog, and died of uh, valley fever. Mm. But it's working. the The data we're getting right now is it looks like we may have succeeded. Well, and this is University of Arizona and all these smart people. I'm my job's just to try to provide support, mm-hmm. um, but it's working. And who knows, maybe within the next couple of years, we might actually start to see a phase one trial in humans. But wouldn't that be really neat that in all the chaos and all the horrible economic news and all the things happening around us, that we have some optimism that valley fever for our residents will be a thing of the past?
1: And I and hopefully our canines as well, right? I mean, and, our, and our puppies. I, I, I learned long ago... Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I, don't, I hate to rank this, but I learned long ago on another, on another public policy experiment that uh, if you make ads and uh, you use dogs, people pay more attention than if you use human beings.
2: Oh, okay. So, yeah. Well, now I, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I have, I have it's, a— It's a
1: weird thing about our culture. It's a weird thing a for good and bad.
2: looking coonhound. Yeah. Um, we'll put him in an ad.
1: <laughs> well, you have, a, you have a picture of my dog with your son, my little yeah, Dagny. Yeah, that's very funny.
2: <laughs> it's so cute. Yeah, his dog was helping him put up a yard. That's it's, right. It's Dagny was odd. helping At least he wasn't um, relieving himself.
1: Dagny on. is a good conservative, as is David. David, uh, that— is I think worth talking about and thinking about. You've been doing a lot of this uh, on 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 you know attacking uh, diseases that seem to have plagued us for so well, long, where we're really making a lot of uh, a lot of traction over the last really three or four or five years by dint of a lot of your pushing. You've been doing it with diabetes and other things, and well, it, I, it is dynamism and creativity. You have thought differently about this than most people.
2: Well, look, I and, and I know I was interrupting you there, but and this for, for everyone that's listening. I need you to think about how we attack health care a little bit differently from a public policy standpoint. Obamacare was a financing bill. Mm. It's who got subsidized and who had to pay. The Republican alternative that got rid of Obamacare was functionally about who got to pay and who got subsidized. Medicare for all is a financing bill. Mm -hmm. None of these pieces of legislation have anything to do with what a service, a procedure, cost. Mm-hmm. So it's, they're not about you know what we pay. It's who pays, and that's the frustration. Um, we had a whole meeting here yesterday um, with a organization that's been put together, wonderful organization, by former Trump administration folks trying to do you know disruption. And we're having a healthcare debate, and and I'm just angry because we're talking as if it's still the 1990s, uh-huh. and trying to explain saying. One of the greatest things we can do for society is embrace the technology that's that's popping up around us and cure diseases. Mm-hmm. Five five percent of the population is a little over fifty percent of all the health care spending. It's our brothers and sisters who have chronic conditions, often multiple chronic conditions.
1: I want to repeat that statistic. Please do. Five, five is fifty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 5.50. 5% of the population costs 50% of our health care.
2: And, and so if you can cure hemophilia, which it looks like we know how to. Um, we're having a, we've are having we had a major breakthrough in understanding how to um, get a pancreas to start producing insulin again. It Should that be something we invest in? Because diabetes is 33% of all health care spending. Mm-hmm. Hell, it's 31% of just Medicare spending. Mm-hmm. And Medicare is the primary driver of U.S. sovereign debt.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: It's just the math. It is what it is. Um, so my, my pitch is we need to embrace the technology, the thing you can blow into that instantly tells you, hey, you have a bacterial infection, you have the flu. It bangs off your medical records. They can order the proper antiviral for you. But that makes a lot of the bureaucracy very uncomfortable because you're cutting them out, and it's become about you – and your individual choice, and convenience, and speed, and it cuts out a lot of the cost.
1: Does it go to the issue of? Uh, I, I don't mean to isolate a specific industry, but as long as we're here, does it go? Does it crash into some of what many in the insurance industry want when it comes to coding and billing efforts? Is that part of the problem no, too? It,
2: it, not really. Because much of the, that chaos is actually created by government. Okay. It's the bureaucracies of the CMSs and yeah. this and that. Here's our codes, and then insurance often just rides on the back of those codes. Um, you have things in the Obamacare that are laying out saying, we'll cover this, we'll cover that, but we'll do it in these ways. And and my argument is, what would happen if you were offered an insurance policy that said, hey, um, we're going to give you this really great price, but you have to be willing to wear Um, something around your wrist that helps us manage and keep an eye on your hypertension. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can we use technology? And we're already doing that for people with diabetes. You know, think about this. You know, anyone that has a diabetic pump.
0: Yeah, of course, sure.
2: You do realize that is an algorithm prescribing their dosing. So so this isn't a revolutionary concept. It exists in our society. But letting that um, technology often... Write a script or do these things is illegal. And so, a lot of times, the things you and I would do to disrupt the cost, not who pays, the actual cost of underlying health care, we got to change a bunch of laws, and instantly you have an army of lobbyists yeah. going up and down the hall saying, You're going to make it so fewer people enter my urgent care center. Or, you know, are we invested in an emergency room? Why are you ta- trying to take, you know, let people take care of themselves at home. Look at the fights I've had over telehealth.
1: Let me, let me do this, David, because uh, I want to get into that telehealth. I also want to talk about an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal today on fentanyl. Do you have time for one more segment, or do you got to go No, boogie? absolutely. Good? We're in good shape. Good. Thank you. I appreciate you. David Schweikert will be with us. Uh, we're going to finish up on telehealth when we come back and then talk about this really interesting piece uh, on uh, fentanyl overdoses. Well, all, all drug overdoses uh, driven by the fentanyl crisis, which is driven by other crises. And uh, we'll do that when we come right back. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth and Show. As we do every Wednesday, we check in with our Congressman David Schweikert, representing the Sixth Congressional District. And uh, David, we were just about—I want to get to the fentanyl issue uh, in a moment, the immigration issue as well. They're linked, but uh, you wanted to say a word on telehealth. We were interrupted by the uh, by the commercial.
2: Uh, look, um, as you know, uh, telehealth has been one of my fixations mm-hmm. since I got to Congress, mm-hmm. and it was one—it's one of the most lobbied against things in in. Um, in Washington, D.C., there's an army of lobbyists from organizations that make money off health care who despise telehealth. Mm-hmm. The pandemic hit, and a piece of legislation I functionally had had for five years was never going to get a hearing. And this is not even a hearing when there's Republicans in charge or Democrats in charge. It's just there's too many people opposed. Too are much
1: against it, yeah.
2: But, but the pandemic hit, they needed language to how do you expand access to people that have to stay home boom, Um, my legislation is the expansion of, you know, telehealth. And there's a small problem. When the pandemic is declared over, that expansion of reimbursement, of licensure, of usage, cross-state, all those things, goes away. And and the lobbyists are back. Um, And many of them are lovely people, you know, but they're very honest saying, look, I have a client paying us. They think um, your telehealth legislation, if it stays permanent, devalues their investment in the real estate underneath the parking garage next to the urgent care center. I mean it's sometimes you get these crazy and you know remember our rule money, power, vanity, but most of the time it's actually about the money. And so part of this argument is how do we let people be free? If you want to use telehealth, if you want to use the thing use wearable, if you want to use the thing you blow into if you want to go to your doctor, how do you make it so as an American you're free, you have choice? Now, different choices should also have what their actual economic costs are. Mm-hmm. And so, look, I'm back into that battle again now over, you know, telehealth, and it's fascinating. Um, some of the people you'd think would be, um, you know, on your side to help you. Catch you and go, well, David, you don't understand, you know, the clinic in my community hates <laughs> yeah. it because they're yeah. fearful patients will just, you know, talk to a doctor and get taken care of without showing up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, it, 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 I'll, I'll tell you something, though. Uh, for those that, that, that have availed themselves of it, they, they love it. And what they're telling me is they want to now expand it uh, even to veterinary area, which I think is probably more done at the well, state level, well, probably.
2: See, there's a reason we don't call it telemedicine, but telehealth is our vision, my vision is it's more than just face timing with a medical professional. Mm-hmm. It could also be the thing you wear in your wrist mm-hmm. that has given, you know, has the last 96 hours of your heart rhythm yep. or your temperature yep. or, you know, your blood pressure. And that data becomes also part of the discussion. Yep. Uh, hell, even da- the data is used by an algorithm if yep. necessary. Yep. So mm. I need you, to, everyone, to think more creatively. That if you're going to crash healthcare while making it more accessible, there's a solution, but it is a it's it's a technology disruption.
1: I love it, Dy- dynamism and creativity. I don't know that we need that dynamism and creativity to deal with the drug overdose problem in America. Uh, I think we need just basic common sense and first principles. You and oh. I were both attracted to this Wall Street Journal op-ed today by uh, Joe Grogan and Casey Mulligan. Yeah. Fentanyl overdose rates are rising fast and you and I spent some time about two or three visits ago on air talking about your work in Scottsdale hearing uh and working with some oh, yeah. uh, families. Oh and we're the
2: you know. epi- and we're the epicenter of yeah. fentanyl. Yeah. You know for you got to understand Phoenix is also the national distribution center.
1: Beautiful. You know, we so win. The, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Congratulations, Biden administration. You solved the supply chain issue yeah. for fentanyl yeah. and, and a bit of meth, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's just when you when you don't enforce the border and, I, and I'm going to fuss at you for something. OK, you when you referred to this subject, you called it immigration. This is not an immigration issue. This is an open border issue. There That's are good. Two very different things. I
1: will take that correction. Good for you. Okay, good.
2: Um, you know, and, and I showed you my videos of you know, going down, doing a quick visit yep. uh, to a couple weeks ago down to Yuma, yep. and I'm there you know, 90 seconds, and there's you know, 30, 40 people yep. walking right around the dam, you know, south of Yuma. Calmly. Just, just calmly, it.
1: as if it's just a normal process. Yeah, yep.
2: and, and the Border Patrol, who you can just see on their face, they're just crushed. Right. Their souls are crushed because they're in the human delivery business. Right. And a, a, a female Border Patrol agent that I've, I've just known passively passing for for years now is, is turning to you and going, and you do realize there's whole sections here I used to patrol. No one is there. mm because we're busy transporting these folks. Yep. Yep. Um, and then you wonder why? What was it? A year or two, or a year or so ago, it cost a hundred and twelve dollars to get high for the day. Now in the Phoenix area, it's like twelve.
1: Yep. Exactly. Um, the wrong You want
2: to know why that homeless person is in that alley behind your house? Uh, you want to know why the little boy down the street just lost his life to drugs? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, understand. This is the version of Democrat compassion on the border.
1: Yeah, I, 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 you, you know my neighborhood a little bit, David, I think, and yeah, yeah I know you do, and um, I, I run every other morning, and I was on a run for the first time in my neighborhood in a um, pretty nicer part of it than I live in, particularly, you know, that central area where the Murphy oh, yeah. Path is, so the, That those are, that's nice area. Yeah, there, there's some, there's and some I, I go early, I go early because, you know, the heat, and son of a gun, I r- ran by two homeless people just sound asleep on the Murphy trail. Ch- I've never seen this in Phoenix before. I've never Welcome seen this. To, Not in that neighborhood anyway.
2: And, and it's and it's worse than so many people. Um, uh, Phoenix police sergeant, who is, is my neighbor, was saying he has zip codes that he patrols and he's been doing it 28 years. He says homelessness has doubled mm-hmm. in a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the consequence. And what was important about that Wall Street Journal editorial is you're finally starting to get the rest of the nation to see what they've done to us as a border state yep you know i mean we're we're an afterthought often it, it that's yep. that's like we were just talking about valley fever yep my job was to scream and yell at you know um the folks back here back east had never heard of it well the same thing of screaming scream and yell about the border right um and and it You've got to be loud and you've got to be obnoxious, and eventually it sinks in. And it's not standing on Fox every evening because they're not watching Fox. No. It's when you're in their face or you're trying to threaten their money. Mm
1: hmm. Mm hmm. That's exactly um, right. By the way, we have gone through hills and dales of drug problems in this country uh, for a long time now. When we are in the face of the public on it, it works. And we haven't been in the face in the public on this in a long time. People don't realize that we can well, make differences here. 79 was the high point. 1979 was the well, high point well, of drug use in this country. Anxiety. We reduced it at 50% by 1993 because we were in our. the problem
2: is now it's very cheap and incredibly yep, potent.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And it's hidden in everything. Yep. And what happens the first time someone takes some of this fentanyl powder and just leaves it on the countertop at your favorite coffee shop? Mm. You need to think this is... This is a different level of just dystopian hell um, than any time in our our history.
1: (sighs) David, uh, Lincoln said, as our case is new, we must think anew. And that's what I love about you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir, for everything you do, everything you represent. Including and good luck with your community. morning run. <laughs> All right, David Schweikert. Bless Goodbye, you, sir. Now. Godspeed. Until next week, I'm Seth Leibson, six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We will be right back. Portions of this show are brought to you by the good people of Balance of Nature. Balanceofnature.com is the website to get their fruits and veggies. Everyone who I've recommended it to and has taken me up on the offer loves it as much as I do. It's 100% natural. There is no added sugar or anything to it. It is pure fruits and vegetables. That's all it is using their unique cold press process to maintain the phytonutrients in each of the 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables they put into those capsules. The capsules are easy to open and sprinkle into food or drink. If you prefer that, Uh, I just swallow them and uh, it's no problem. But I know some people don't like swallowing capsules. They're normal size, but they're designed for that in case that is your preference uh, for pure, potent plant power to keep your immunity boosted, your energy high and your health in great shape. I can't say enough about Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies. Check them out, balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code balance. Before I get to this fentanyl uh, op-ed in more depth, I got a bunch of you saying that you can't get to the Wall Street Journal. Tell me what's in it. And, I'll, and I'll, I, I will do in just a moment. Just a passing note. Uh, we said this Early on, I haven't said it in a while, and it seems the aggregation and accumulation of problems this country is facing. It reminded me of Ian Malcolm. Uh, remember Ian Malcolm in, in in Jurassic Park? Jeff Goldblum. He was told. Uh, he was told. I think it was in the second one about all the things they fixed, all the problems they fixed that led, <laughs> led to the the tragedies in the in the first uh, in the first uh, iteration of Jurassic Park. And, Ian Malcolm says, yeah, you've solved all those problems and you're going about creating a whole series of new ones. And I was just thinking about that in the context of this administration. I remember saying, but it's been about a year. There isn't a single thing this administration has made better, and almost every indice, every index of any issue they have made worse, spectacularly worse. The I mean, arguably, arguably uh, the only only thing they've done is is what removed um, uh, removed uh, the president of the United States from communicating with the American people. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Well, if you didn't like the communication, I suppose it's a good thing. But now you have none. Now you have none. I will give a little bit of credit, a little bit of credit to the secretary of Homeland security, Mayorkas, at least he is out and about speaking. Now, I think what he's speaking is ridiculously junk thought. And he today, again, said that the administration is on track to ending the Title 42 protocols at the border for the border crisis. Do you know what that means? Do you know what it means? That means 18,000 more illegal crossings a month. Eighteen. Thousand more a month in a system that's overloaded, but you know, don't um, don't let uh, don't let the theory get in the way of the program and the program's facts. Name me an issue that's gone bad. The baby formula thing, by contrast, by contrast, baby formula. Where has the Secretary of Health and Human Services been, it's Javier Becerra? Wouldn't you think he'd be all over this? When's the last time anyone has heard anything from him? And and and, and 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 I know there's a temptation to make this about a transportation issue, so occasionally they put out Pete Buttigieg, but that's not quite working. He doesn't have left, and it's really not his domain. But who would have thought there would have been a baby formula crisis in America? I can tell you what they would have been saying if it happened on the previous administration's watch. I can tell you what they would be saying, and they would be saying everything they said about Donald Trump not being qualified to be president. Everything Joe Biden said about Donald Trump is what they would be saying right now. And then this added added uh, pain, this deepest cut of all, is that the administration has known about this since at least February, at least February. In other words, at least three months of doing nothing about it, just kind of hoping and wishing that it would go away or fix itself or not caring, possibly not caring. It's hard to get a sense in a read, isn't it, on what it is this administration does really care about? What 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 is their overarching mission? Can you tell me? Can you tell me? Every presidency does seem to have a concept of something big it wants to get done. Remember, there was this uh, written about conversation between Pat, uh, William Sapphire and Richard Nixon. William Sapphire was his, one of his speech writers before he joined The New York Times. And Nixon turns to him before you know, he was ousted and before Watergate had hit, said, what will, what, will, what will this administration be known for? And Sapphire said, turned out to be wrong, but Sapphire said, after a pause, competence. And you know what Nixon said? Nixon said, not good enough. Well, we don't even have that. We don't even have that right now, but can someone tell me what the overarching goal of this administration is or one single thing they want to get done, one single big thing? I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As we do every Wednesday, we check in with our constitutional attorney expert, Brett W. Johnson, a partner with the Snell & Wilmer Law Firm. Uh, SWlaw.com is their website, SWlaw.com. Brett Johnson, happy Wednesday.
3: Happy Wednesday. Thanks, Seth.
1: You betcha. Um, thank you for always doing this. Really, really get great comments on it, and I learn a lot myself. Um, Brett, I wanted to ask you uh, in the in the in the realm of the First Amendment uh, about a couple of things. We had a local situation here where some of this was explained, and you know it comes up because the in my by my lights the the left and the media can't help themselves uh, too terribly much. It comes up a lot. Whenever, uh, public figures in the media who happen to be conservative, whether they're, you know, Sarah Palin or whether they're Tucker Carlson or someone else, perhaps Laura Ingram, Ben Shapiro, I don't know, one day it might be you or me, um, they, they, they really get lambasted in what we would Conveniently call slander using you know the basic not legal definition, they get slandered and libeled, so for example, in the Buffalo shooting, people were and newspapers were quick to cite Tucker Carlson as the inspiration for it and One wonders, can Tucker sue when people do things like that? Could Sarah Palin sue? when uh, the New York Times said she was responsible for the shooting in Tucson that took place, what, back in 2010, I think it was. Anyway, Brett, iron this out because everyone knows there is a distinction between slandering a public figure and a private, or defaming, I guess, is the better word.
3: And and you hit it on the head, it's a public figure. And um, for public figures, those who have the courage, both sides of the fence, to, to go into the public square, um, what the courts have said, is that you actually need actual malice um, where you're basically a true falsehood against those individuals to be able to, to make a slander claim. So it's, you know, it, it, it basically if you're entering in the public square and actually even one step removed nowadays, um, it's basically have to have some thick skin to be able to to make that action now, if it's if it's completely false, there is no justification for it whatsoever, and people are just saying things um, for monetary gain or to hurt somebody's um, income. Sure, that public official is going to have a good claim, but whether or not it actually makes it to the finish line, that's going to be the issue.
1: And it seems like it's rare that it does, right? It's rare that it, it, it does. That's exactly right. When I was that's in exactly law school, right. we learned New York Times-Sullivan. We learned the Jerry Falwell-Hustler case. Uh, it didn't work out for the plaintiffs, I don't think, in either one of those. It didn't work out for a plaintiff here in Arizona recently, right? Uh, do you want to talk that's about true. that?
3: Yeah. That's true. that's That was the, the Young Agency versus Wendy Rogers case. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
3: And, um, and basically, Young Agency was uh, one of their employees was running for office against Wendy Rogers. Um, Wendy Rogers made an advertisement against that uh, the person she was running against and made an inference as to that person's employer. The employer basically said, hey, you've now cost me business, and it's false what you're saying. Um, The Supreme Court basically said, though, no, no matter what, and and reiterated some some arguments from the Supreme Court, even if it is repugnant, even if it is pushing hatred or bigotry or, or other comments, it's a very, very high standard um, because of the importance of free speech. And as actually one legislator even just said yesterday, the First Amendment is when there are hateful things and there are the things that the rest of society would necessarily think are repugnant. But that is when the First Amendment actually kicks in. And I, and I thought that that was actually a telling comment um, because that, that is truth. And many people might remember back in 2010, um, it's a Supreme Court case called Snyder versus Phelps, yeah, and it was the Westboro uh, Ministry that was yeah uh, the Westboro
1: Baptist Church, right the Phelps absolutely. guy or something like that, right? Yeah,
3: it, 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 that's exactly right. And and they were um, um, causing anguish to military families coming back who who were killed abroad and picketing outside those. And the Supreme Court, even though they got a great ruling at the trial court level, millions of dollars. By the time it got to the Supreme Court, Supreme Court said yes, repugnant, but completely authorized and protected by the First Amendment.
1: Brett, this actual malice standard that you mentioned, and that those who went to law school knows, is what attaches to public figure public excuse me public figures <coughs> who are right. trying to make a uh, defamation claim. The actual malice standard, just back of the hand, it's a knowledge that the statement was knowing that you were uttering something false or or this phrase or reckless di- disregard as to whether disregard. it was false. right
3: and rec- reckless disregard means is that i don't know it's false yeah but um basically there is no way anybody else would believe it's true and so that, that's why i guess what i was
1: going to ask you is that kind of the measurement correct. because it doesn't seem on the face of it like that high of a threshold It just that it seems the courts have made it a high threshold
3: that, that's exactly right. And, and um, it's a very subjective analysis when you're sure. actually going through the facts. Um, and that's why when it finally gets up to the Supreme Court, emotions have uh, basically lowered a bit and there's more of a, um, you know, academic perspective and, and those justices are, are providing, well, I'm a reasonable person and I, I don't think that that's uh, too far off and they, they um, use that as their standard. It's just human nature. So, uh, but there is obviously case law that goes back and forth. It tries to have some, some guardrails. But if if you're in the public um, right now, and b- both sides, you're you're getting attacked. And I get phone calls all all day long from clients saying what they're saying about me is completely false. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but thank goodness you decided to run for office, yeah. and and they're able to say some of these things, and then vice versa um you know people out in the community who were like hey i have nothing to do with this and yet i'm being targeted too and it's the one step removed so it it, it is a, an interesting time especially with social media and you know the the 30 second spot um mm-hmm. but courts have to grapple with this every day
1: right they can't they can't the media if they're engaged in defamation they can't make you a public figure Uh, For that purpose, let me make it clearer. Uh, People know the Covington Nick Sandman story. This guy was not a public figure. They made him one. They can't say that because we made him one, he has to work off the actual malice standard, right? I think I'm right.
3: That, that That is correct. Okay. Basically, you have to do some overt act that puts you into the pu- public square. right? And when that happens, and that's a very low standard, though, by the way, because okay. some people speaking at a school meeting, for example, or They whatever, can be a
1: designated they, or,
3: yeah. A exactly. Public figure. Yeah.
1: So a school, but that's actually a fairly good uh, issuance here, given given the election times we're in. So if a parent speaks publicly at a school board meeting you could be considered to be a public figure for purposes of defamation.
3: That's exactly right, because now they're amplifying the voice. But if you're just sitting in the crowd and you get pinpointed for uh, just attending an event, that's probably not entering the public square.
1: Okay. All right. By the way, there has been talk... uh, Bill, give me one. Just a little... Give me one. Yeah. Uh, Brett, there has been talk... Of changing that standard, the Sullivan, I guess it's the New York Times Sullivan standard. Correct. To do that, obviously a court case can do it, as we've seen with uh, the Dobbs case. You can change what the Supreme Court does by the Supreme Court, did to the Supreme Court's hand. Can Congress do it? Could Congress change the standard? They can try.
3: Yeah, um, that's, that would be a statutory analysis. Yep. But um, it would be a, what's called strict scrutiny analysis yeah. Yeah. by a court, and that's a, a high hurdle.
1: It's really hard to do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really yeah. about the justices. Brett W. Yeah. Johnson, my man. Thank you, sir. That was great. I love this Thank stuff. You. Yeah, Thank you, you betcha. Right. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Brett Johnson, SWLaw.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the good folks at the Midas Gold Group. It's the only place I get my gold and silver. I want you to check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. Great guys right there, right up there in Scottsdale. Veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. It's the precious precious metals dealer that both Seb Gorka, I, and then thousands of you already use. MidasGoldGroup.com, 480-360-360. Three Don't deal with questionable gold salesmen. Avoid mail-order nightmares. Deal with the knowledgeable and reputable company I and Seb Gorka and a lot of you, thousands of you already do. You bet I own gold from Midas Gold Group and silver. You can too. Please tell them I sent you. Brad and I may have a disagreement. I don't know that we do. Uh, But for those of you that are kind of interested in that Westboro Baptist case, it's called uh, Snyder v. Phelps. Uh, Take a look at it uh, because it is interesting. He is absolutely right. The Supreme Court upheld the obnoxiousness of the quote-unquote speech at hand, and the obnoxiousness is a level which is hard to believe, Um, but it has to do with protesting outside of the funerals of – People who died in service to this country wearing the uniform of the United States fighting for this country and protesting it because they don't like what America stands for. And they think those deaths were in vain fighting for a lousy cause because fighting for a lousy country. Uh, But it wasn't a unanimous decision. It was not a unanimous decision, that case. There was one who um, wanted to go the other way. And give liability and give a judgment to the aggrieved. And that was Sam Alito. It's an eight-to-one decision, memory serves. Um, We have had long discussions about the First Amendment speech protections here. And um, I am in a minority school on it, although I think the right school. Uh, We don't always judge right by might, do we? Um, And I think Alito's in that school, too, as are, I think, some of the greatest uh, scholars of the First Amendment, Uh, many of them recently deceased, like Walter Burns, some of them still uh, around and uh, doing great work, like Robert George at Princeton or Hadley Arcus Emeritus at Amherst. But the issue of free speech, uh, I think, is ripe, especially the standard around which uh, public figures can or cannot sue uh, for defamation, I think is ripe for revisiting. I think it's more than ripe, and I think it is one of the ways We are going to be able to get our hands around runaway media. Um, Yeah, they got their butts kicked on the Nick Sandman case. Good. But Nick Sandman wasn't a public figure. What about the slander and the libel? In other words, the defamation of public figures. Actual malice, it's not in black and white that hard to achieve. What Brett is saying, and he is absolutely right, and there's no disagreement with us on that. What he is saying is that the courts have made it a higher threshold than it needs to be. I think it's ripe for revisiting. I'm Seth Leibson. Monologue coming up. Be right back.